of the Ego Feed the Soul. I'm your host, Nico Barraza. And on this week's episode, we have Desi Wadiger. Desi is a two-time U.S. champion, strawweight division in Muay Thai. Uh, she's a professional fighter and also works full-time while raising a kid and having a partner. Uh, she's based out of Northern California. And I first connected with Desi via social media. I was really impressed with, with just uh, a lot of her videos. Um, she's, you know, an insanely talented athlete. But then getting to talk to her and, you know, hearing all the depth there and sort of her rich background and the history of the experiences and the trauma she's gone through and how she's overcame those things and gotten to where she is today. Uh, she spoke very openly and candidly about her background and the struggles that she faced within her family and outside of her family dynamic. And I was just really inspired to have her on the show and have a conversation, um, uh, not only because of her press as an athlete, but uh, her ability to sort of explain in detail where she comes from and how it influences, you know, her values and and who she is today and who she strives to be, um, not only as an athlete and a professional, but as a partner and a mother. So really appreciate Desi coming on the show. I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. And as always, if you're digging the show, please consider leaving us a five-star written review on Apple. It helps us getting our ratings up a ton. Um, please consider sharing episode clips. If I say, share something on Instagram, please share it with your followers and tell people to tune in to listen in too. And same thing goes to Spotify. So always appreciate your guys' support. And I know this episode was a little late this week, but I've been swamped with shoots. So we're launching this on Wednesday this morning. But I hope you guys enjoy the episode and we will resume launching on Monday um, the next coming week. So thanks for staying put for a couple of days. I know a lot of people were asking, hey, where's the new episode? Um, so here it is. Without further ado, Desi Wadiger. Well, Desi, thank you so much for coming on the show, dude. I, I know we connected via Instagram and it's been wonderful to get to know you a little bit. And we hopped on the phone before this and kind of chatted about your history. And as you know, this show is really just about the deep and authentic conversations that sort of connect us as humans. You know, um, I'm sure we'll touch on Muay Thai and fighting, but it, it most certainly won't be the focus of this. But um, I thought you had a really interesting sort of upbringing, you know, when you kind of briefed me on the phone about your how you were raised and how you sort of came into the woman you are today. Can you start everyone off with just kind of your, your background? Yeah, sure. Well, I am, um, what they call a Panay. <laughs> I'm Filipino and Caucasian. My dad was, um, a Marine, um, and served several tours overseas. And one of those places was the Philippines and he met my mother. And so I'm a product of that. <laughs> um, he was stationed for a while in Hawaii. And so I was born in Hawaii. Um, my parents divorced pretty young. And then when they divorced, my mom kind of stayed in Hawaii and we moved to the middle of nowhere in Missouri. Um, and so most of my upbringing was in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and then as I got older and, you know, I really didn't have any relationship with my mom growing up. Um, and then as I got older, I started kind of going back and forth during the summers from California to Missouri. Um, and, you know, essentially decided to move out here. Um, I had a son really young. So like 21 years old, I had a son. So he's nine now about to be 10. And I can't believe it. Cause I'm like 31 years old, which is, you know, I look at my friends just now having kids and I'm like, Whoa, this is so weird. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, you know, professionally, like I have a career, I work for Morgan Stanley. I'm a financial advisor, um, on a great team at Morgan Stanley here in the Bay area. Um, and then, you know, on my off time, I, 
do a bunch of various crazy things, snowboarding, horseback riding, um, Muay Thai fighting. And uh, yeah, I have a bunch of fur babies and I have a boyfriend. I'm in a relationship and have a great family and, um, you know, relationship with my mom now, which has been, you know, kind of a, a, a weird story in itself. Um, and yeah, my dad's side's back in Missouri. So that's kind of where I'm at right now with things. Um, there's a whole bunch of back end and story amongst all those relationships and all those things in my life. Um, but, and still growing. Right. Um, yep. and I have eight, eight siblings, Wow. <laughs> a lot. I, yeah, I do have a lot of siblings and they're kind of like spread across the United States and those relationships are all also equally as different. Um, but yeah, that's kind of who I am in a nutshell. That's crazy. I, I don't think I picked up on the eight siblings when we spoke over the phone. Um, yeah, it's a lot. Where should we start? Because we kind of got into your, you know, relationship with your father. But I want to know, yeah. like, what you know, what's on your mind today? Because I, I think we could go any way, any which way. Yeah. I'm just really interested to hear about your personal stories and how you sort of. For you're sure. very, you know, open-minded, deep human being. You know, irrespective of all of the things you have going in life, the athleticism, the job, the partner, raising, you know, a child. I think like the thing I'd really love to focus on is just like your growth and how you've, you know, navigate these different relationships in your family and how that sort of, um, your perspective on those relationships, how that yeah. has influenced you as a human being and how you walk through life. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of funny, right? I mean, we all have our stories like with our family and I think there's so many things that happen to us as children and we grow up. And, and I was actually just talking about this the other day about like the subconscious mind when we're a child, right? You know, if in our subconscious mind, when we're four or five years old, we have like these letdowns and these things that happen to us, um, but we don't really actually realize they're happening to us as kids, but we can feel it. You know what I'm saying? We just can't verbally explain it or understand why we feel the way that we feel until we get older and the behavior continues from, you know, your father or your parents or your siblings or something. And then you start realizing, okay, well, I make the connection with why am I, you know, all defensive all the time, or why am I emotionally unstable all the time? Why do I cry all the time? Why do I do all these things all the time? And so we start making these connections as we get older and understanding why we are the people that we are today, Right. And so, you know, there's been a lot of like seeking in my life and in therapy work and things that I've had to be like, okay, I acknowledge that this is a problem with me. Like why, what is the reasoning for that? Right. And so one of the things, so like, for example, my dad, he essentially like raised us. Right. Um, I didn't meet my mom until I was like nine years old, um, which is not normal for a young girl. Right. I also grew up in an environment where it was predominantly white Um, There was no ethnicity or ethnic culture behind anywhere where I was raised. And that was a a huge eye opener for me as I got older. Right. Um, I mean, when we talk about homosexuality, when we talk about different cultures and how we perceive people and how they live their lives. Um, And so growing up in in a very militaristic family, um, my dad, you know, is very strict on my sister and I, because at the time it was just my older sister and I, um, And, you know, I had my grandparents to lean on and a really good example by my grandparents. And so, you know, I am very fortunate for them because I was able to see kind of what a healthy relationship and a healthy situation looked like. And I think for, you know, a lot of people out there that are divorced or single parents, you know, this is a key topic for them. They worry, right? I mean, I worried myself. I worried like being a good example for my child, you know, do I haven't had the most perfect example growing up. Like, is this going to be a cycle of this generational shift of not having both parents around and, 
um, having a stable situation. Right. Um, so, you know, after talking with a therapist and like seeing a bunch of people, it's really more about, you know, what example is in front of you now. And like, have you had at least one good positive influence around you growing up? Right. And for, unfortunately, like not a lot of people have that. Um, but I think it is really important that if you are in a situation where you don't have one, you try to seek those relationships out um, so that you have that for, you know, your children growing up. Because um, for me, I look back and I'm like, wow, like that was so important to have them. Like I really looked up to them, you know, they were married their entire life and, you know, badgered at each other, but like always was still there for each other and everything. And so I, I needed that. Um, and so you know, my dad, he married three times. So very common, right? Married three times. Um, and because I didn't have like a motherly figure in my life, my motherly figure was my stepmom that he married. Um, and so when they got married, I actually called her mom. Like it was, it was like me thinking that she was my mom because I didn't have a mom. Right. Um, and then, you know, she and my father like had issues behind the scenes and she ended up like having an affair on my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, and as a young girl, like I was very like sweet at heart. Like I, I was, I was definitely very sensitive individual growing up, um, and believed a lot of like, I just was like, you tell me this and I'm like, okay. Right. Like I believe you. Um, I wasn't that kind of person like questioned anything growing up. Like my parents said something and I was like, okay. I believe you. And so it was like, always, I always remember her saying, you like, I'll never leave you. And of course she knew the backstory with my mother, right. Not being around and the things that my father told her about their, their relationship. And I believed that I was like, okay, she'll never leave me. Like I feel safe. Like I can always lean on her. And she was my mom. And then they divorced, right? Like she had an affair and my dad was like so upset about it and they divorced. Um, during that, like she, they had a, another child, like my brother who lives in Arizona now, he's actually just moved from Flagstaff, um, back to, uh, towards the Gilbert area where he was raised. Um, and so when they divorced, like she ended up moving to Arizona and taking my brother with her. And so growing up, like I was kind of like ripped from my sibling, um, because of their dysfunction. And so when I look back on it today, right. Number one, I'm like, okay, this is so dysfunctional. And how did these abandonment issues like affect me today? Because I, I do deal with the abandonment side of things. And I think a lot of kids and people deal with that when they're dealing with divorce and their parents don't address it or like try to psychologically figure out how to help them because it does affect you, right? It does affect you and your, your future ability to have a good relationship in the future. Right. Most definitely. Um, yeah. And sometimes, you know, you, you, so you see a lot of people I feel like that are very dependent on their partner, right? Like don't leave me or scared to be honest or communicate or do things that are afraid that they're going to leave them. Right. That's a very common one. I feel like, um, you know, and secondly, you know, I was let down, like I was crushed, like when she left. And, um, I think the only thing that really saved that situation um, was because she actually connected my sister and I with my mom after she left. It was almost like a, you all need your mom around and like, I'm going to make it a point to like reconnect you guys. And so that's kind of how that happened. Right. Um, and it was really awkward. Like I didn't call her mom. Like it was weird. <laughs> with your biological <laughs> Our, mom, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and you know, this is something that I fight with. I, I fought with a lot, like in my young, younger twenties age, because there was all these stories, like from your, you know, your, your family members tell stories too, like their perspective of the story of what happened and who these individuals are from their point of view, right. Their biases. And so, you know, you have your dad saying one thing, your mom's a piece of, you know, what you're, this is what happened. Da, 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 da. And then your grandparents and your aunt and uncle are saying one thing. And at some point, like you get to an age, right. Where you're like, I'm tired of hearing all of this. And like, I need to figure it out for myself. Right. Like, and that's the hard part. Like that is a, a, a really difficult um, task because you know, you're like dealing with hurt and maybe some truths that you don't want to hear or face and that could change your life. And you could have been thinking something the entire time one way and it just crushes you because it's not really what it is, you know? And so the conversation, like with my mom, like that came years later, like that came years later when I was like a teenager and like actually had the guts to like have the conversation about that. Um, partly because I just didn't want to face like the drama, you know, like I didn't want to face the big elephant in the room um, and talk about those things. Um, so that was like kind of one of it, but I didn't talk to my stepmom for years. Like after that, like after she moved, I, I was so angry. Like I went through these periods of like angry and sad and like, why would she do this to me? And like all of this stuff. And like, I trusted you and it was really hard. Like it was really hard. And knowing like I had a sibling out there that, I potentially would never have a relationship with. Right. And so that was the first time I ever experienced like kind of like the psychology of those abandonment issues. Right. And I got to an age when I got older and like had some money and like finally was like, all right, I got problems. (laughs) Like I have these issues. Like I need to really figure this out. How did you, okay. So, cause that's such a huge turning point, right? Cause I, I feel like this, right. this really is similar to sort of my own story, but it happened in multiple waves. Like what was the mm-hmm. thing that had to happen for you to, for that like big red flag? Cause we, we can sort of know, but we don't really admit to ourselves that we sort of have an issue or issues until something happens. What, what was yours? Was it some traumatic thing? Was it a breakup? Was. Yeah, no, I think, um, I think it was just like my destructive lifestyle, right? Like I had a very destructive lifestyle as a young, at a young age, like I, with drugs and partying and being around the wrong people and not having any guidance. And like the people that I was like sleeping with and partying with and all of these things, um, it just was so, so, um, I don't even know the word. I mean, it was just so unhealthy. Right. And it was just getting hurt left and right and expectations and all of these things to be like, what's wrong with me? Um, And I think that's really at a point where, you know, I was like, all right, I, I definitely need to address these issues. Right. I know I'm on, it's like, you know, you're on the wrong path and you know, you're making the wrong decisions. And it's like really up to you as an individual to be like, all right, like I need to make a change. Right. Because although that stuff is fun and partying and this and that, like there's a rabbit hole that you go down. And a lot of times it's almost like avoidance, you know, we can do it for a while, but I mean, there can be healthy addictions that are avoidant too. Right. And, but I I like that you bring that up because I feel like I've sort of 
you know, mirrored that in my own life where, you know, there'd be something, even if it's running, for instance, you know, it's like there was a point where I felt like I was sort of running from dealing with my emotions or dealing with any of my trauma because, you know, I was having success in this area, you know, and, and all that, that looks different from the outside is like partying drugs, you know, living that life mm-hmm. too. It's not that much different because at the end of the day, it's still avoiding, you know, handling our shit. Basically, how yeah. old were you? How old were you when you were like, okay, like enough is enough, and I need to figure out something else? I was probably nineteen or twenty. Um, okay. Yeah, because I was, I had like barely, I would, you know, to go back to school, right? Like, I've always been an athlete. I, I grew up, I did gymnastics. Um, growing up at a young age and then my gym closed. Um, and then I had to stop because we didn't really have the money to, to go to a gym that was, you know, 30, 45 minutes away. Um, my dad like was going through this weird alcoholic phase where he, he like owned a bar and restaurant and he was never around and there was just no structure. Like there was no guidance by any means. It was just like, do what you want to do. Right. Um, and so I, like at that time too, I, I was kind of recovering. Like I had gone through a really bad motorcycle accident when I was like 16, 17 years old. Um, and which changed my life, which we can, we can also talk about. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, at the time, like 18, 19, like, I'll just put it this way. Like I was partying, I was selling weed with my friends, like that I knew from California. I was, um, you know, working at a strip club. Like I was cocktail waitressing at the strip club. I was working another, um, restaurant job. And I was just, didn't have a path. Right. Like, and, and I, and I did have friends growing up, like that were going to college and doing all of these things. And I'd see that. Right. And I'm like, God, like, I'm so much better than this. Like, why am I choosing to hang out with these thugs and hang out with these people that are just shitty people. Right. Um, and around 18, 19 years old, like I, um, I had a couple friends die from heroin, um, and like in front of me kind of thing. And like, it was just really an eye opener to be like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing here? Um, and I had actually got some money from my accident, um, quite a bit of money that I ended up like just screwing off, like partying, um, traveling, going to Miami, going to Vegas, doing this all underage, right? Like had a fake ID was like, you know, moving pounds across the United States, you know, (laughs) and it was bad. Like I'm being very honest, like it was bad. And it wasn't to the point that I actually like spent the majority of my money, um, that I was like, Oh my gosh, like, what did I do? Like, what is this destructive behavior? And I like fell in this like rut like this rut of depression of like, what am, what, what am I going to do now? Like I made bad decisions. I could have done this. It's like regret all of this stuff. And like, then all this stuff from the past just came, you know, came in and like flooded over me. And so, you know, that was the time where I was like, I need to figure out how to deal with my life. Yeah. I think that was probably the real turning point in where I was like at my lowest low. Let's talk about that motorcycle accident, if you don't mind, because I I haven't yeah. heard this part of your story. Yeah, yeah, it, um, yeah. It's you know sometimes like today, like now that I think about it, like I forget a lot about it. Like I I think while I was going through my recovery of it, my dad like really pushed me, um, like he pushed me hard to like get back, get back, like walking, get back, like 
getting back to normal life that I think when I look back, I didn't have a lot of time to um, like process psychologically what happened to me and like the events and like how serious they were. Right. And, and so I actually, when I look back now, I got over that way too quickly, you know? And so I was out here in California um, for spring break, actually um, with my mom and my sister and we were having a, a big party at her house before we went home. Family was there and everything. And so my stepdad at the time, um, his sister just got engaged to this guy who like rode motorcycles for, you know, part-time, you know, competed and things like that. Um, and he was just really good. And so he was like, you guys want to go for a ride? And I had never been on a motorcycle before. Like my dad was always like, don't you ever get on a motorcycle unless it's with me and this and that. And he, he was pretty strict with motorcycles and I just got on it. Right. Like I was like, yeah, let's go. And I'll go first. Um, and we were coming down, actually it was right down the street by my mom's house and we were coming down the road pretty fast. And at the time, like they were doing development out here and it was kind of like just a, a one lane each way. Um, with no divider or anything. And it was really weird. Like I remember everything, which is kind of, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but like every second of the way, like I remember, like he just started drifting in the other lane. Um, and there's these like two Tahoes coming up the corner, like the bend. Um, and the first Tahoe saw us, like he saw us and like actually went off into the green, like off the road. Um, and then the guy behind him, his buddy, didn't see us, unfortunately. And we just went head on into this Yukon going like 50, 60 miles an hour, like relatively fast. Um, and I remember holding on to this guy and like thinking like, is he just messing around? Like, is he just joking? Like in my head, I was like, is he just messing around right now? Like, of course he's not going to hit this car. Um, and then next thing you know, we kind of like went sideways and just bam, straight into it. Um, and then after that, you know, I blacked out and Um, it took a couple minutes and I woke up and kind of like ripped off my helmet and I saw him laying on the ground. I saw the the cars and the trucks and, um, I saw him laying there and I I ran over, like I started just screaming belligerently, um, and ran over to him and I, and I was like, is he dead? Like, you know, is this guy dead? Um, and I, I looked, I opened his, his helmet and yeah, he was gone. Like he was gone. Yeah, it was it was like no question about it. Um, so I just started screaming like I, I don't think I've ever screamed so much in my life. And it actually all happened behind my mom's house. And so they they heard me at the house um, and and I started freaking out. So I saw the guy in the car in this truck, you know, um, and there's like glass everywhere and the bike. And, and so I like went over to him and, and he I like got in his truck. And he was at the time, like all the windows were down and he was calling on star and, and, and I get in his car and he looks like freaked out, you know, he looks really freaked out on his face and, and he's like, it's okay. I'm, I'm calling, um, I'm calling help. And, and he's like looking at me. And then next thing you know, I like look down and there's like just blood everywhere, like on my jeans. And it, it was, it was like freak. I freaked out. I was like, where's this blood coming from? So like I pulled down the mirror and like I had bit off my lip and it was, it was hanging. My tooth was, you know, back in the back. And, um, my jaw was literally like back here. Um, I, I, I'll never forget that in, in my life, you know, just that visualization. 
And I passed out. Like I passed out. I just, I just passed out on the ground. Like, I know I'm laughing, but just imagine seeing yourself and just like, (laughs) and so, you know, the next thing I remember is, you know, the, the helicopter coming and, um, the guys like waking me up, like, wake up, wake up, like you need to stay awake. And it was just so cold. Um, they strapped me in this, this helicopter and, um, took me to the hospital. And yeah, like from there, I, I went through all the scanning and everything. And it was really hard to stay awake. Like when, when, when you see those movies of people and they're like, you need to stay awake and they're like drifting off. Like that's what it is. Like it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to stay yeah. conscious and awake. Um, but yeah, after that, next thing I remember is kind of waking up in ICU and like my dad was there and he had like flown in from St. Louis and he was so pissed. And I think, you know, the first thing he did when I woke up is like curse me out. <laughs> he cursed me out. He was like, you know, why the fuck would you ever get on the bike? And he was so mad at my mom and he was like so pissed. And, and I had like nightmares, like, cause you know, you have the morphine and stuff. And, and I swear you go through some really crazy psychedelic dreams. Yep. Yeah. Like I mean, morphine, you're tripping on basically like methamphetamine while yeah. sleeping and being like your pain is numbed. Yeah. And I even, I like remember hitting it and just like, like passing out, you know? And, um, I, yeah, I had some weird dreams. Like some of the, the nurses were, you know, they would come in there and start talking and I wouldn't be like fully conscious. Like one lady was like, um, Oh, what dosage is it? She had like, was confusing the dosage. And I like woke up and like cussed her out. Like, you don't know what you're like, get out of here. And I'm like, I had a dream that like my aunt, um, you know, came and like tried to kill me because my, my like soon to be uncle just died. And I was on the back. Like I had all of these weird, crazy dreams. Like I, even about my childhood, you know, um, like my stepmom was there, but she really wasn't there. And, you know, my mom wasn't, wasn't around. Like I was like looking for her and she wasn't there. And I'm like in this accident, it was creepy. It was, it was, it was really, really creepy. Um, kind of like the experience in the hospital. And I would, I would like wake up at weird times, like exactly on the hour every time. Um, and it was just, it was just a really weird, weird experience. And then, you know, my dad, he, he was there the whole time and he was like, I'm getting you out of here. Like we're going home and you need, we need to get, get you up, you know, get you walking and this and that and like harassing the nurses. Like he's, he's very much like that. Like he, when he has a mission, he's on a mission. Um, and I get some of that from him. Like when I'm on a mission, like I'm on a mission or if I believe in something, Oh, you better believe like I'm going all the way, you know, like (laughs) if I believe in it, it's, it's happening. Um, but yeah, like I, I afterwards, you know, went home, ended up going home. And like, he really pushed me like to even go back to school. Like I went back to school with my jaw wired shut, which was really hard um, for me because at the time, like I was, you know, varsity cheerleader as a freshman, varsity soccer, like an athlete. Um, I, I had student council stuff. Like I was really involved. Um, and I went home and he like wanted to get me back in there ASAP. And I didn't want to, you know, like it was embarrassing for me. I had lost, you know, my jaw wired shut um, for, for quite some time. I, I lost a lot of weight. I was, I was typically like a thicker girl, I'd say, um, for my size. And I, I like was like 98 pounds afterwards and looked really gross. And so it was really hard to face like my peers and my, my, my schoolmates 
who were like, Desiree lost her arm, Desiree lost her leg, <laughs> like all this crazy stuff. Um, and to go back and like face that, you know? So what injuries did you sustain? Like, did you have a brain injury at all? Like, but besides the jaw thing, which is super bad, like what yeah. else happened? Yeah. Um, so I, I broke my hand, um, pretty bad. Um, and I broke my jaw in like six different places. So like, I actually have, um, screws like in my jaw and, you know, like some plates and stuff like that. I had to have like full reconstructive surgery. So it was, it was really, really bad. Um, I, you know, of course had to have the construction on my lip because that was severely damaged the way I bit it. And, um, you know, good thing I have like bigger lips because they they were like you could think you had enough lip to you know move around and fix your lip and I always make it a joke now but you know I I feel very fortunate that they were able to like put me back together um as far as like head injury that's something that I was actually just my boyfriend and I were talking about because I don't think that there was enough attention like I'm sure I had concussion of some sort and, and yeah. some severe concussion in the head. And, and I, I do wonder how that affects me today um, because there's certain things that I deal with personally that I'm like, Hmm, maybe this is something that resonated from that. Right. Like I need to go and get checked out um, to make sure my brain is okay. And, you know, memory and all of these things. I have Alzheimer's in my family, like all this stuff. I think it's good, healthy for us to, um, to go through those processes um, because you just never know what you'll find. Um, and actually, you know, when we take the time to like do those things, you know, um, I think, I think we put our mind at a little more ease, especially with coronavirus and, you know, all of the the sicknesses that are going on in the world, like it can happen to anybody. Um, you know, just a testament, like my boyfriend's good friend, like just found out he had, um, you know, a tumor of some sort on his, um, on his liver or his kidney and they found it and he's 35 years old, um, potentially could be cancerous and they were able to remove it and he is recovering right now. Um, but you just think if like he found that years ago, years later down the line, right. Um, how scary and would they even be able to help him? Um, so I think when we, we take care of our bodies and like take care of ourselves and, and, and that makes a huge effect for the long term. Um, so yeah, so I'm okay on the outside now. Right. Um, but there, there's a lot on the inside there that, you know, I, I, I go back and forth and I, and I sometimes like get emotional about it. Like I, I like just think like, wow, like why me? Right. Like, why did I get to live through that? And like, this guy didn't. And like, what, what am I going to do with my life that it was like worth it? Right. Like worth it. God saving me and not this guy when it like, he saved my life. He really did. Like he was essentially like my airbag in that whole situation. So yeah, it's, it's definitely something that affects me today. And, um, you know, I, I, sometimes I wish I was, he was alive. Like there's answers there, right? Like we all want answers as humans. Um, and, and we want closure. Yeah. And so sometimes I'm like, well, what were you thinking? Like, what was going on in your head? And, you know, were you drunk? Were you intoxicated? Did you pass out? Was there like health issues that you were dealing with? And, and so letting go of that is really hard saying, okay, I'm just going to accept that I don't have the answers. Um, in some situations, like that's just what it is. Like you just don't get an answer. Right. Um, and you just have to be with, okay, accepting like whatever happened through that experience. 
Yeah, man, what a crazy story too. I mean, I when I crashed my bike, I was going. I think it was like thirty eight or thirty nine miles per hour, um, and I didn't have. Yeah. To, were you wearing a helmet? I was. Yeah. So even with a helmet, you still broke your jaw, huh? Wow, that's. Cr- yeah, because the way the impact was was like yeah. we went kind of sideways, and yeah. it was like up, and yeah. his helmet kind of like hit my hit you, yeah. helmet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. And yeah, that's, that's crazy. This. 30 miles an hour. That's fast. That's really fast. Well, almost 40, but I want to still talk about yours because, you know, well, I had a severe TBI, like a traumatic brain injury, right? When I, when I hit the ground, when I first went to the ER, you know, I I went to, so the side of town I was riding on with a group of riders, um, Mm -hmm. it, uh, it's a pretty poor, poor side of town or poorer side of town, uh, South Tucson. And so, you know, coincidentally, the sort of hospital or the ER on that side of town isn't the nicest, you know, and I say this, uh, you know, with respect to every, the things they do at the hospital, but, Mm -hmm. um, they don't, it's just a nice facility. You know, they definitely don't pay their physicians or their nurses as well. So the, the quality of care you get is unfortunately not the highest. And anyone that's grown up in a sort of, you know, lower class area uh, can, can have a test to this usually, right? Like, you know, wherever yeah. there's money, there's usually better healthcare. And, um, you know, I was a full-time athlete at the time, but I just so happened to be on that side of town when I crashed. And so, uh, got a ride there and I was like sitting in the waiting room for, or not the waiting room. I was sitting in a stretcher for like 45 minutes. I could have had a brain bleed, you know, the doctor, they didn't CT scan my head at all. You know, they misdiagnosed my shoulder injury when I first came in. Um, they didn't even see my wrist injury. Uh, they didn't suture up, um, my leg completely. It was just, it was just like a lot, there was just a lot of, uh, um, just a lot of sort of mistakes that were made, you know, and really it was just kind of the quality of care. But the biggest thing was like the brain thing. It was like, you know, they, they were like, oh, you just probably have a concussion and concussion is this like blanket term we throw at anyone that sort of hit their head. Right. And right. there's, there's very, very specific like things that happen with a TBI. It's a very severe concussion. Right. Um, and there's a lot of different gradients that people experience them on. And there's a bunch of different symptoms that different people have, but I had like all the classical TBI symptoms for, you know, two to three months after and finally saw one physician that, you know, saw me, he looked at me and he was just like, dude, you need to go see like a neuro PT and you need to, you know, start working on your brain and your balance, all these things. Cause as an athlete, like I was completely changed. I mean, it changes you as a human being, if you have a brain injury. Right. Um, and, and I had Dr. Caroline leaf on the show a couple of days ago, and she's a pretty well-known neuroscientist who did a lot of research mm-hmm. on traumatic brain injuries. And we didn't talk about TBI specifically, but we kind of grazed over it. And, you know, there's a ton of evidence just saying how, like, you know, it's so important to, to know if you've had one or not specifically. So you can sort of help start to navigate how you're healing too. Right. You know, because it like it just from my support system to sort of losing my partner at the time, like there was so much stress in my life, which is the opposite you need when you go through a thing like that. You really need a really strong support system. You need to feel safe. You need to feel comforted, you know, because really you're like this, this adult that's sort of experiencing what it's like to be an infant again. You can't fully take care of yourself, you know, especially if you're a very individual person, like I, like I assume you are too, based on, you know, sort of how you go through life. I find it really interesting how your dad's approach to that. And of course he comes from his own background, but his approach was just like sort of get up and get back together as opposed to like, you know, the first thing coming in the hospital and be like, I'm glad you're alive, you know, versus like, you shouldn't have been on that bike and and almost, you know, this is just very interesting approach, right? I mean, (laughs) to sort of the first thing you come in, like your daughter's alive, you know, she survived, but you're just like, gonna like, you know, once a Marine, always a Marine, you know? Right. I know. And that's, it's crazy. Cause I feel Mm -hmm. like that's, um, 
that exists in a lot of masculinity, you know, and I don't know mm-hmm. if it's the healthiest thing we're putting out there. Um, yeah. But how yeah. Did, I guess, how did that affect? Cause you, you said when you started off the story is that you might've been sort of pushed even too quickly to sort of get back up. You weren't really given that grace of recovery time. Yeah. Want to talk about that? I'm really curious. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly feel like his, I mean, gosh, we're so much like our parents, right? Like I I just, sometimes I'm like, I'm like a little mini of my dad sometimes. (laughs) And I'm, my personality is like that. Like, Oh, stop whining. Come on, get up. We can do it again. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And not having like being empathetic, right. Being empathetic towards other people and like what they're going through. And I'm always like, no, that like, we can make this happen. Like get up we we're going, you know? Um, and so I, I, that's something that I've worked on like my entire adult life is like how to have more empathy for people and understanding, um, about what they're going through. Cause it's different and how things affect other people are different than how they affect you. Right. right. Um, and so it's hard for me to work that muscle. Um, just because of like how I was raised by my dad and he's always been, you know, I mean, I've always like been the kid to go outside, scratch my foot and like, be like, oh, I'm fine. Right. Like my sister's the same way. Um, super tough. Like just this happened. Okay. Move past it, forget it. And the best thing to do is just forget it. So you can just move past it. Um, and, and that's actually really unhealthy. I feel like, um, it's really unhealthy to like, not be able to talk about your feelings with things. And so, I I think, and even I look at my dad today as a hard time, just being vulnerable, vulnerability, right. In general is just, just really hard for some people. Um, and I, and I think like, you know, your show that you have here is, is a testament to like why we need to be more vulnerable as human beings. Um, because it's relatable because people understand because people want to be vulnerable, but they don't know how, or they don't want to be, um, you know, they don't, they don't want to not be accepted by other individuals because of the vulnerability, because they don't want to seem weak or they don't want to seem, um, you know, certain things that they, that feel like society doesn't allow us to be right. Um, and so for me, like, I am actually a very sensitive person. Like I'm very sensitive. Like everybody in my family knows I'm so sensitive. I mean, I can shoot the shit, but I am definitely very sensitive. And so, and, and that kind of turns into anger. Like if people are mean or they're bullies, like I get like very combative and like, Oh no, (laughs) I get like the St. Louis Desiree comes out in me. Um, and I think partly because I, I have not been able to deal with certain stuff in the past. So it just turns into like being a fighter, you know, like how my dad is like, Oh no, you're not going to do this. Like, how dare you? You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, like going back to what you're saying is like, I don't think like I had time to like grieve over this man that like, first of all, I didn't really even know him. So it was so hard to like grieve over somebody that, that I wasn't like close with. Right. It was just like this man who died, um, in front of me. Like I, that is something completely different. You know, this, this human being is just gone off of this earth in a matter of a split second. Um, and, and like life is just so short it's so short and you have no idea. And like, it could just be over in a split second. Um, and so I, I don't think that I even got a chance to even feel, I don't want to say feel sorry for myself, but like really just get to process like how serious of a situation that that was, 
because I just pass it off like, oh, something bad happened. Like, it's bad. Yeah, it's bad, but I'm good. Like, I'm going to be good. Like, I'm alive. I'm here and I'm good. When in all, like, I needed to be like, holy shit. Like, this this is life-changing for me. Um, There's this recovery path that I have to go on now. There's all of this stuff. And I just dismissed it all. Like just completely dismissed it when I really, when I really should have just um, been vulnerable. Right. Instead of just being like trying to be the tough person. Well, to be fair, you didn't really have the space though. I mean, how, how old were you when that happened? I was 16. It was all 16 and a half, 16 16 years old. old. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I feel like that we're still very much, I mean, even when I was in my early twenties, I felt like a child at some, at some levels. And I still feel like a child at some point I'm 31 too, but you know, I feel like you have to have that space specifically since you're still in the care of like your caretakers, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, if you didn't have that space, like, how could you be vulnerable? You know, I think that's a, that's the thing that, you know, vulnerability sort of has to have, um, has to be invited, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like we can't just sort of walk around and and be vulnerable with everybody because some people just, you know, a aren't deserving of our vulnerability or aren't open to it because, you know, the person has to sort of also be vulnerable in order to connect. And we can't connect through our wounds if we're not shown someone else's while showing ours. Right. Yeah. So, I wouldn't be too hard on yourself, man. I mean, that's, that's a very tough situation to be as a 16 year old. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's definitely, but I, I will say though, like some people, when things like that happen to them, you know, they can, they can fall into these, these places, um, that are very scary. Right. right. Um, and, and then it, and it's like a, a cloud that's over you, your entire life, like, woe is me. This is what happened to me. And they live their entire life living in that traumatic experience. Right. And for me, it's like, I refuse to live in that place. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to live there. And if my way of coping of it is like, okay, either A, it didn't happen or B, it's just the past and I'm going to let it go, you know, Um, and like put that wall up, you know? Um, And so that's what I'm very good at is putting a wall up sometimes. Like I, I, it's a bad, it's a bad trait. (laughs) Have you read much into like attachment theory? Um, do you know what that I don't is? Know. What do you, no, so, tell uh, me maybe. I just learned about this, uh, two summers ago. Cause I put, I picked up the book attached, um, cause a therapist okay. I was seeing recommended it to me. Okay. And it's just, uh, this sort of, um, like uh, scientific sort of backed evidence around these different attachment, uh, usually, sort of things that we develop as, as children. Right. And mm-hmm. there's, there's four, but usually people only talk about three and one secure, the other's anxious, the other one's avoidant. And then you have a fearful one that's sort of anxious, avoidant combined. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and we're never one. We can move throughout them, um, throughout different parts in our life. Right. It's like, people right. are like, well, you're secure. You're always going to be secure. It's not the case. So you're avoiding, you're always going to be, a, we always have a choice, right? We can grow, we can, you know, mm-hmm. digress, whatever. Um, but I, I thought it was really interesting when you were talking about abandonment, you know, as a child, cause you know, I sort of dealt mm-hmm. with that with not having a father for most of my life too. Um, although I did have my grandfather who was very much my father figure, you know, I had this absent of like, my dad was never in my life, my biological yeah. father. And I think that like, Abandonment can can a lot of times lead to anxious or avoidant uh, attachments, um, and there's a bunch of different uh, sort of descriptions of both of these. But some of the mm-hmm. times when you were describing sort of your your shutting down, you know, it, it reminded me of sort of some of the stuff under the avoidant category, um, just because like that's that's a natural response to protect ourselves when we're younger. Right. 
the issue mm-hmm. is like when we bring that into our adult lives, we don't, we don't, we're not necessarily protecting ourselves anymore. We're sort of shutting ourselves off to um, vulnerability or to opening right. or to love, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. That is a good point because I, um, so funny though, some of the things that we're talking about, I literally have just, you know, having these conversations, like, um, you know, my boyfriend and I were talking about a situation that happened to me with a past relationship, right. And we were both talking about past relationships and, um, unfortunately, like, you know, the person that I was with, like cheated on me. Right. Um, and I, and I told him, I said, it was, it was really weird. Like I actually had to like talk to my therapist about this. Right. Because I was kind of like scared about myself. Like I have this thing where I like, I, I don't like somebody or they do something to me. And I just like cut them off. Like I'm done with you. You're dead to me <laughs> in the world. And I don't like you. <laughs> and It was funny because I was like, you know, I found out and my friends told me and I, you know, most people would like freak out and like, there's this drama and this, this, and then like, and I was just like, like, it took me a minute. I had to process it. Right. I was like this mother, seriously, like after all of this stuff and all this cheating conversations and all this, and you thinking it's me and all this stuff. And it's like, it's you like, And I, I processed it and I like, just was like, Hey, we're done. You know, like very cold, very like, I'm just done. Get your stuff go. You know what I mean? And like, you're dead to me. Like the heart is cold. And, and I, and I just like, that's how it ended. And I didn't feel anything from that afterward, after like two years of being with this individual, like I felt nothing, Nico, like I felt nothing. And so I I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, why can I share this much with this person? And then this happened. And then I just die with a cold heart. Yeah. And I'm like, there's something wrong with me. Like, there's really something wrong. And I, and I think part of it was just because I, I was actually just done myself with the situation. I probably just waited too long mm-hmm. to end it. Right. Even though I had already made up my mind, like, you know, months prior to that, um, it was just the perfect reason. But I still was like, hey, I need to figure out like, why is this so easy for me to do this? And like, how do I change that? Um, but I really think it's because when someone does something to me, like in, in the sense of like, um, uh, betraying me or betraying my trust, because I have those, those trust blocks there, um, that it's, it's the tiniest little fraction of thing that can just really flip the, flip the coin for me. Right. It's the tiniest little thing. And so, and I, and I think that's what people don't really understand too, is that is the trust aspect of thing that, you know, of course it's not your partner's job to like help you through that problem, but it is their job to like be understanding that you may be sensitive, right. To certain behaviors and having those conversations around um, that with people that you love or people that you're close with that, you know, may disrupt those barriers with you. And so, um, because then we hold on to that, right. And it's like, why am I, I, you continue through the relationship with whoever it may be. And you have the trust situation there, um, because they've crossed that line or, or they've done certain things. And so coming back for that, it's something like I've really tried to work on as an adult. Like if someone does something that I feel like breaks my trust or like betrays me or, you know, in, in, instead of just being like, you're done, like looking at it and being like, okay, like what's happened Um, you know, like, did they mean to do this? Was it something that was like malicious that they intended to do? Was it, you know, just something that happened because of natural whatever, and then trying to understand like, 
how I can, as a person, look past that, right? And not like disrupt the relationship, if that makes sense. I love that you just brought this up because this is this is such a huge thing that I've had to develop in my own life too. And I think like what you're saying, because you brought up empathy too before you brought this up and then you now you're sort of bringing up forgiveness, right? And I don't think we can truly forgive ourselves or others until we develop more empathy. And we develop empathy by usually experiencing trauma or causing trauma, right? And so, you know, uh, like, you know, that people are unfaithful for a host of different reasons, but having been on both sides of that coin myself, I feel like for the most part of my life, I've always been like, yeah, if someone ever does that, you know, they're done. Like, you know, mm-hmm. cut, cut it quick. Yeah. Right. And, I'm, and that's sort of where I grew up. You know, I just grew up in a very sort of Latin, heavily heat influenced family, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, if someone's cross, you just, you know, done deal, buddy, you know, you're out. <laughs> yeah, um, <right. laughs> but, you know, having, having made my own mistakes in life, plenty of them, um, I think I, I've developed sort of this more nuanced approach and, you know, it's also allowed me to sort of forgive myself for the, th- for things that I've done, you know, cause I've made my own mistakes as a man for sure. And I think that like looking at someone, I really like a lot of sort of clinical psychologists have developed this term of like partner or person as a child, you know, Mm -hmm. and being able to sort of give someone uh, and and not make excuses for people. Like, you know, when we make mistakes, we should own them. Right. And if someone's not owning them, different story, like that's a different story. But if someone is apologetic and if they realize, you know, they've done something to hurt us or we've done something to hurt them. And there's legitimately like someone feels bad for this, not to, not to, you know, say that, that what they did wasn't bad, didn't hurt us. But if someone owns it, I believe like there, there should be space for forgiveness. You know, like we're human beings, we're imperfect. All of us are going to hurt someone at some level throughout our life. Every single one of us, you know, some right. greater than others, some not, but you know, it, it's not so much to compare each other. It's just that we're all going to cause pain to people we love and we're going to feel mm-hmm. pain. That's what it is to be alive, right? That's how we feel happiness and sadness. You can't have one without the other, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that like developing sort of empathy allows us to develop the ability to truly forgive and continuously forgive. Cause I have brought this up in a past episode, but I used to think forgiveness was just a one-time occurrence. It was like, okay, I forgive myself and I forgive this person for doing this to me and we're good. You know, it's not, it's not dude. It's fucking not. And it's, it's like, I would, I, you know, it would be easy if it was, but it's just not easy. He, he, nothing human is easy. Um, you know, we'd like yeah. to think it is, but we, we, we're a complex you know, animals. And I think that forgiveness is continuous. You know, you, someone hurts you, you wake up sort of every day and you might have some resentment, you know, and, and the more you can forgive days and days and work with them, especially if, you know, you're working together with this person, whether it's a friendship or romantic relationship or whatever, you sort of repeat this forgiveness to the point where, you know, you, you're allowing trust to be rebuilt because both people are putting in X amount of energy. Right. right, um, right. Of course, if someone breaks your trust, you break someone else's trust and the work isn't done nothing's going to heal it, you know, because there's no growth happening. But I really appreciate you saying that, especially looking at sort of using your own pain and how you've been hurt and saying like, well, look at if, you know, what's inside of me where I have to just cut, cut it off to not feel, or maybe Mm -hmm. I was done before this happened or whatever. But I think it takes a lot of courage to do that. And I, and I hope people do that more often because I feel like that's one of the things I'd like to get across in a lot of these episodes is, you know, we, we can be hurt and we have two options to either sort of victimize ourselves and say, well, this person's yeah. horrible and they hurt me. Could be yeah. true. Or also look at how we how, like our roles in that pain and not taking accountability for someone else's shit, but taking accountability for our own or because like yeah. shutting yourself off to someone you you love, it's just not healthy. Like it's just not, yeah. you know, creating healthy boundaries for sure. But if we just shut off love, 
that that's pretty unhealthy as humans, right? Um, yeah. we, we still have to give ourselves space to grieve, even if something ends, even if like a container sort of is over full and it's, you know, done all it's you know capable yeah. of doing. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was really interesting. You brought that up. Cause I, you know, that's yeah. something I've, I've had to reassess in my own life because being a very sort of judgmental young human being thinking I had all the answers and was always right. Uh, as a lot <laughs> of us do, you know, I think yeah. reevaluating my relationship with empathy and forgiveness, not only yeah. for others, but for myself, because I am such a hyper self-critical person, you know, and I yeah. bet you are too, because yeah. I feel like that's really what makes a lot of good athletes too. Cause there's so much, like there's so much pressure we put on ourselves that, that the outside world, even the people that love us probably will never see because yeah. you know, it's, it's so like to a point, and especially growing up with the father you did, there's probably just a lot of like, I have to, you know, perform. I have yeah. to like be the best at everything. Absolutely. I do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, and like, just going back to like, to what you were saying, like, I think, I think one of the hardest things that people have an issue with, like including myself or some, a trend that I've seen um, just throughout the years is like when you are whatever relationship that it may be, right? Like you, everybody's been in an argument with somebody like, cause they're like, you did this, you did that, right? Like it's an action instead of like, it's what you did to me, like internally as a, as a feeling. Right. And so I'll be like, Hey, you did this, you did that. Instead of being like, Hey, those actions, this is how it affected me. Right. And like being receptive to those things. And like, saying, well, even if I don't agree with it, like understanding like that, this is the way that you're feeling. And those are your feelings and nobody else's. And like, I may think it's completely stupid and ridiculous and like, I don't get it. Okay. But then like being like, wow, okay. I really hurt you or this really affected you. And like saying, I'm sorry. And like to go back, like my grandma, the biggest thing she used to tell me, I was like, well, how do you do it? And she's like, well, we just say sorry a lot. <laughs> she's like, we say sorry a lot. Like that's the, that's the, the key word in a marriage or relationship is I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And, so, and meaning it, right. Cause it's easy to yeah. say that word, but like to really mean it and be like, no, I don't want to hurt this person I love, you know, and, and really mean yeah. it and be able to admit when we're wrong, I think is a really huge thing. Cause as yeah. someone that's sort of a perfectionist myself, like you know, it, 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 is, it has been very healthy for me as I sort of have grown in my adult years to be able to say, you know, what, I'm sorry, I was wrong or I am wrong. Yeah. You know, um, when you're a perfectionist too, like it's hard. I feel like to, cause I, I'm, I feel the same way. Like I, there's been times where I'm like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do it. Like it wasn't me. It was all you, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, you get this like egomatic, like it's not me, it's you <laughs> thing about you. And so I don't know. I, and that's something really challenging. I feel like to, to, to get away with some people are like, yeah, it's me. It's always me. And some people are like, no, it wasn't me. It was you. <laughs> totally. So I, I definitely tend to do that. Sometimes I do that and I have to, check myself and be like, Hey, you're not special bunny. Like reflect, <laughs> you know, that's an important point too, because although I do believe all of us have uniqueness, I think uh, in our hyper individualized society, we overemphasize our uniqueness and forget that like everyone has a very similar experience, whether it's through trauma or, you know, and so we see things through our own minds and we're siloed between our ears a lot. And I mm-hmm. think it's, for a lot of us, it's very uh, sort of hard and hurtful to step out of that, to kind of come mm-hmm. out of that and be like, what is this person feeling? How are they perceiving it from their perspective, whether I agree with them or not, you know, to, to try to like quell the storm and be able to connect with someone. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, usually that sort of deescalates a situation. You know, um, I was a kid that grew up in a household where you know, there was a lot of interesting dynamics. Like my grandfather, he was a great man, but like he had a huge temper, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. he was like your sort of quintessential military dude. Uh, you know, he was very soft when I, when I got him, cause I got him when his older age, but when his, when he was raising his sons, I mean, he, he sounded sort of a lot like your dad. He was very tough, you know, very yeah. militaristic. Like he would get angry, you know, he starts screaming, he throws something across the room. Um, you know, he just, it, that's just like what, or he run out the door and slam the door and like, you know, <laughs> go off on a car ride or something. And, you know, we can laugh about that, but that's pretty unhealthy, right? That's like an unhealthy yeah. way to deal with your emotions. Whether my sure. nana or my grandmother, what would she do? She would get very passive aggressive. She would mm. start shutting down. She would, she would like poke him in certain areas where he, he would just like, <laughs> like sort of have to absolve into a shell, you know? And, and I would notice this as a kid and I'm just like, man, you know, as a kid, I was like, this is normal. Of course, this is how we communicate when we're angry, right? Like yeah, yeah, get yeah. angry or shut down or avoid or. She's like, you know. you're not getting dinner. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Or, or she'll just, you know, <laughs> but you could see them sort of playing. And, and, and I think a lot of relationships are like this. And as children, unfortunately, we grow up as sponges. And so we pick up all the good things. There's so many good things I picked up from my family dynamic, lots of love, lots of beautiful things, but I picked up a lot of unhealthy things too, you know, um, same, same with my mother. And I think, you know, as I went to more therapy, as I sort of looked at my own childhood more and more, I started to realize like, like you said, like, Oh shit, I have a lot of good things that are bringing to relationships, but I have a ton of baggage too, that I'm bringing to relationships. And until I'm honest with myself about this baggage, I can never give it to a partner and say, Hey, this is where I come from. This is the thing. These are the things I'm trying to, you know, work on. Of course, all you're going to see is the beautiful things in the first year. But after that, mm-hmm. most certainly my baggage is going to come out, you know, yeah. and I'd like to know a little bit about yours too. So maybe we can sort of navigate it a little bit softer as opposed right. to reverting back to what our childhood was, you know, viewing or, or, or viewed as, whereas like throw that cup, scream at the person, say something hurtful, <laughs> run out the door, you know, <laughs> shut down inside, be passive aggressive, yeah. whatever. Right. Um, yeah. Do you relate with that at all? Like with, with, with sort of your childhood environment and where you're at today? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, um, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, is like, I told myself it was so, I dealt with this issue, um, heavily, like, cause you know, we tell ourselves things and we like promise ourselves thing and then we don't follow through with it on our own. And like, it really can bother you. Right. If it, if, if you're the type of person that's like, I make a promise and I, and I keep it, then it would bother you. And so I remember like one time, like crying in my bed because my, I, they got divorced, my stepmom and my, and my dad. And I was like, I will never ever get married and get a divorce. And like, I will never, I promise I will never have kids without being married. And of course that didn't happen. I, I've never been married before. Right. So that's one thing I guess I promised myself that I'm hoping that I can keep, um, you know, in the future. But like I, when I had my son, um, I was like, that was like a really hard experience in itself um, because it was the first time I had like got out of being this freaking crazy preteen into adulthood type of thing and and, and like a real relationship um, and thinking I was doing things the right way and like totally just did not, it was bad, right? Um, and felt like I kind of like got tricked and like getting pregnant and like thinking that I was going to get married and like all of this stuff, which didn't happen. Um, but like it, when it didn't go the way that I thought it was going to go in my head, the way I'd promised myself so many years ago, it really messed me up. Like it was, it was like, I was constantly living in like 
people are staring at me. Like I'm being judged right now. Like I'm having a kid. I'm only 21. Like I'm super young. I'm not married. And like, what is the church going to think? What is this? Is that like after I had start going to church, like it was just a really tough experience as a woman um, to, to have to go through, especially if you have like certain beliefs about, you know, being married before having kids and all of this stuff. And so that was really difficult for me um, to deal with, but yeah, I mean, some of the things that our parents do, we look at and we're like, I just want to completely do that different. Right. And then end up doing it. And it's like, or end up doing opposite of what we said we were going to do. And it's really hard um, because we want to change that gap. Like yeah. I always tell my, like, I want to change that gap. Like I don't want to be living in this place where I have, you know, six kids by three different people and like divorced three times. Like, I just don't want to live like that. I want to change that. I want my son to see something different. When I want to change those circumstances. Um, and so, yeah, I still believe that today. And I still try to like live my life according to that. Um, and hopefully like that's where life takes me. Right. I mean, we never know, but th- that's what's in my heart at yep. least. And I think it requires an immense amount of awareness and then prioritization and effort to sort of stop generational trauma is what you're speaking to. Right. Like, yeah. you know, this continues generation to generation until someone like yourself is like enough is enough, man. Like I, I see right. the healthy things my parents gave me, but I see the unhealthy things and I'm going to work on this. So that way when I pass it to my kid, they can work with less and it can sort of, we can weed some of this out and we're never going to be perfect. We're always going to have trauma, but the point Mm -hmm. is is to sort of start to narrow that down and make it more malleable and, and easy, easier to work with as humans, as opposed to such rigid shit that we have to experience, you know, as as kids. I love that you say that dude. So uh, one of the last things I want to talk about, because I know I want you to be able to get back to your your Sunday and with your with your partner with your kid and have a great time with your family. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. By the way, I know, yeah, um, you know, holidays sure. are tough, but I want to talk about a little bit about fighting because it's so it's so curious how you know you got into fighting with your background, and you know, like a lot of people will go train right but they'll never actually get like fight because that's a whole different thing. Right. Like it's just a whole different experience. Right. And so, you know, I'm curious on, you know, what, what has it taught you as a human being? Cause there's, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak like for you, but for myself, sort of like being in those situations, I grew up fighting a lot as a kid, you know, like my grandfather was a boxing trainer. He was a boxer his whole life. And um, there wasn't, there wasn't any, uh, I wasn't a kid that like started fights but I was always a kid that would never back down from a fight, you know, yeah, unless it was like too. a gang thing. And I was like around, you know, if I was about to get jumped, I would definitely, back, like, I'm out. I'm yeah. Um, you know, and again, thankfully I was fast too. So yeah. I had two options. Um, but you know, I think that what, if, what is it like, what, what are some of the lessons you've learned? What attracts you to competing in Muay Thai, you know, and um, I, I just, I want to just talk a little bit about that. Cause there's so much in martial arts, you know, specifically with like mental health and like just emotional health. Cause people think it's like, you know, just about aggression and it does like release a lot of stuff for sure. But I think like, there's a ton of like lessons from that too. I think most people honestly would get a lot out of competing and so or not just competing, but training in some sort of martial art, because it allows yeah. you to sort of release this piece of like, um, like our animalistic nature, you know, not only of competing, yeah. but of like, you know, kind of right. just letting it go for a little well, bit. I will say this, that, you know, I just did 23 and me and it was one of the biggest reasons I did 20. I mean, I already knew what I was. Mom's full Filipino. My dad's, you know, uh, Austrian, like he's freaking Caucasian, uh, Czechoslovakian kind of thing. Right. And so 
I knew this. And so, but I wanted to do it because of the Neanderthal <laughs> genome in there. <laughs> and I found this fascinating. Like I have, I find it, I, I find it fascinating how, what the evolution of humans has been. Right. And I, and I, and I, same to you, like, I, I find it fascinating the way our brains work and, and, and why we make the decisions that we make and how, why we are who we are and all these things. And, and so I was just like, what? They can do that. They can find that. I want to see how much Neanderthal is in me. Um, but yeah, I mean, we all have this like animalistic thing to like, I mean, that's why they say if you did like a cardio kickboxing class, like you get to release this tension that you may have in you, you like, you you don't just go through punching people in life, right? Like it just doesn't work that way. But there is some level of like intensity that you get that energy that flows out of you when, when you, when you experience some kind of workout like that, um, or, you know, a real fight or something like you feel almost numb and like an outer body experience, right? I mean, you've been in a fight, you know, like the shaking and this and the feeling nervous. And like, after you fight, you're like <laughs> shaking, your body is just going through it's, it's crazy. Um, uh, you know, like protective, I think I would call it a protective state. Right. Um, because it, there's this guy, he does a spear training, um, Krav Magas, and he's pretty popular on Instagram. And, um, he talks about, you know, how our bodies are just like we swallow or we choke. It's something that our bodies like naturally do, um, to protect ourselves. Right. It's like already built in our DNA. It's how we operate. And like this girl was getting, um, shot at in the doorway of a house. And like, all of a sudden, um, she like dropped to the ground and the shot missed her. And it was the craziest thing, how her body just reacted in the moments of time to protect itself. Right. Um, and so like, again, like getting those things out when you're like doing the kickback, like there's a certain thing that comes out of you, um, the stress or whatever it may be for you to get that out while you're experiencing that type of activity. Um, so I would say like, depending on the person, like there are some positives and things that can come out of doing that. Right. It's hard. Right. Um, and it's definitely uh, very aggressive. People don't have that, that, that light switch. Yeah. Um, some people need to find that light switch. You know, my sister, for example, like this girl's so reserved all the time. I'm like, I just want to jump in you and like, tell that girl at school that's bullying you to fuck off. You know what I mean? Excuse my French, yeah. but like some people need to get that out. Like it's a confidence part in there to it. There's like an aspect to it that's like, if you're not the type of person that can tell somebody no, because I think telling someone no is actually really hard when you yeah. feel uncomfortable in a situation or someone's crossing a boundary and you're just like, no, I don't like that. I don't accept that. I don't want that. And I believe that, you know, hitting a bag or punching something can actually, you know, increase that, 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 um, you know, just that, that confidence to be able to do the things and say the things that you want to say as a person. Cause we feel scared, right? We get reserved and we feel scared and that's why we don't do it. And that's why we hold back. Um, and I'm not saying like punching someone is making you feel confident, but like, I do feel like there's a level of that type of activity that kind of brings something different out in you. Right. Yep. Um, I will say that like when I walk down the street, like if someone were to approach me and like, there would be a scary situation, I definitely feel confident about where I am and who I am and how I can defend myself. Um, so you know, um, I don't know 
exactly. I forgot what your question was because I kind of <laughs> went off on a tangent I, there. Yeah, no, I, I think I, it's great. That people- I, I like that you. I like that you sort of brought up confidence. My my initial question was just like, you know, there's so many things that sort of practicing a martial art. You know, you don't necessarily have to compete. At it. You know, you don't have to go in in a ring and get punched, but just yeah. training. You know, it, it, whether it's like just grappling or stand up or some striking. Like, I think there's something so innately human about these things. You know, I really yeah. do. And it's not. It's not so much like the aggressive part. Like you have to be aggressive. You have to be. To, to, but a lot of people they're just so nervous to even go into their first class or something because it's so you know it's just quite a nerve-wracking thing there's so much sort of like you know just energy in it right because that you go in like yeah. sort of a boxing gym and just energy is like very like it's just different than if you go into like a lifting gym usually you right. know like um hey, and lifting I, I, gyms are scary though those guys no, they are, are they are yeah that was probably a bad comparison but but i guess <laughs> yoga you know, just, yoga yoga yeah yeah right it's just there's just a different energy right and i think that a lot of people you know uh, just are more timid about it. But I, I wish more people trained because I think there's something we release, you know, while throwing our hands, our legs or grappling with someone and you don't have to do it to hurt others, but it's nice. To, I yeah. think everyone should learn to know how to like uh, defend themselves. You know, defend, I think that that's, yeah. that's a premise we should all know as human beings, you know, I think yeah. we live in a very comfortable sort of society in Western culture where we've kind of forgotten that that's like just part of being an animal, you know, is like right. how to defend yourself. Um, Right. It's not even just that too. Like, I honestly, I think Nico, like, let me ask you this. If, um, if Mike Tyson walked in a room tomorrow, like we already know that you're going to have respect for him. Like we already know inherently that we respect this guy because he fights and he can kick your ass. Right. Mm. And people's, people's percent, like they, their behavior changes when they know that you are trained in that, that type of skill or just like they just, they change. I, I went down to South Georgia, like with, you know, a bunch of these girls and like, all they could talk about was you fight people. And like, I feel like as a woman that if they, if I was not a fighter, just a regular girl, you know, from California, they would have treated me completely different, completely different just because of that right there, you know? And so yeah. shit really changes. Yeah. And you know, you develop a respect for people. Like you develop a respect for people, whether you train in that or you don't train that. The the whole mindset around martial arts is respect, right? Because you know someone could hurt you. Okay. And so I think that changes the way that we act towards each other. No one would disrespect Mike Tyson because they know he could if he wanted to punch you in the face, right? Yeah, even six-year-old Mike Tyson. I mean, I saw him hitting bags, you know, training for the holy the holy field, which is crazy. Those guys are still fighting. Um yeah, yeah. but I mean, the dude still like probably could knock 99.9% of people out, not only knock them out, but really injure people, you know, yeah. and I completely agree. And it's not like people fight for that, but it, I think it, it sort of inherently builds that respect of not only just other people having it for you, but you respect others more too, because you're able exactly. to sort of sit in yourself more confidently, you know, yeah. because you don't have that much self-doubt because you don't, no one walks into a ring thinking they're going to get their ass beat, you know, it's yeah. just like, you're just in the wrong sport then. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really, yeah, but I like I that think- though. I do think that it's important um, because, you know, like my son does jujitsu. Right. Um, and I and I still push him, unfortunately, because of COVID, he hasn't really trained um, a lot, but wants to get back in there once things you know open up on the mat. Um, but he struggled a lot in the beginning. He's not a very like combative um, child. He doesn't like physical um, sports, really. He's not like that. Um, but I continue to push him. Um, because I, I want him to 
be able to get through situations that are uncomfortable, right? And not just physically, but nobody wants to be choked out, right? Like nobody wants to do that, but it's uncomfortable. And so finding yourself being comfortable in a place that's uncomfortable, I think is a really difficult thing. And I think that we need to do more of as just human beings because we avoid those uncomfortable situations because we're scared of how it's, how we're going to handle it or what's going to happen inside of that heat, inside of that fire. Um, and that's where I feel like most people should be walking towards the fire and not away, right? And so although and people are like, oh, he doesn't like to, I'm like, I don't care. He's doing it, right? Like in life later, he's going to thank me later. But like sticking to my guns as a parent and saying, no, you're doing this. And I apply the same thing to myself. Like, in training, like I, they'll be like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, you know, in my head, there's days where I'm like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it because I've invested the time or, or whatever. And, 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 and I believe in, you know, the challenge, right? Because I'm not going to grow as a human being if I don't challenge myself to do things that are different. Um, and so I think martial arts does bring that, that aspect to things of, of doing something completely different than what we would be used to in the mainstream media or the mainstream, um, what people tell us that we should do in our lives, um, and, and challenging ourselves. It's hard. You know, yesterday was, was a, was a hard day. I've dedicated my Saturdays for the last, you know, four or five years to every day. I mean, to running three miles, to drilling, to sparring, you know, 10, 15 rounds um, every single Saturday. And I've given up, you know, family time. I've given up relationship. I've given up stuff. I've given up things um, to do that. Right. But I, I believe that it's changed my life for the better than it has the worst. And so I'm going to continue to keep doing it and keep, you know, pushing myself to see where it goes until it's done. And that's just what it's going to be. Right. Um but yeah, it's definitely uh, made me reconsider how I live my life and, and what I do with my time and, and how I'm utilizing my time and what things are important, what things are not. And it's actually been a great distraction too, because I feel like if I, I, I wasn't doing this, I could be off doing something totally random and weird and may not have been for the better, um, but it's, it's definitely added like structure to my life too. Um, even though it's like crazy all the time. <laughs> I like so. it, man. I think that's a good point to end this on. I think that was a, a beautiful, a beautiful finishing note. Um, but I, I agree. I think like, especially people that have sort of that fire, some people are just fiery, you know, and they, they have to find a way to get it out, whether it's through an, a sport or an art or whatever. And, yeah. uh, I mean, arguably there's, you know, a lot of art in every sport too. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Desi. It's been wonderful to talk to you and get yeah. to know you a bit and to hear a little Absolutely. bit about your story. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I love your message. Honestly, I, I listened to a, a few of the, the podcasts that you already done and and jotted down some of the books that you had mentioned in some of them. And I, I really like your guests. And and I think, um, you know, just awareness around a lot of the things that we've talked about and vulnerability is is so great. And I, I'm totally 100% with you when it's like, you know, when we're vulnerable and we, we can connect better with people um, and we put down, you know, these outer shells that we have uh, with one another and, and, and just be raw. Right. Um, and I, I think that's the best way. And I, I honestly try to live my life like that. I understand people that don't like me and that people that do like me and, and I'm okay with that. Right. Um, as long as like, you know, we stay true to ourselves and just be better humans and, and get better every day. So I love it. Thanks so much, Nico.